Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, as always. Thank you for joining us. So I'm not sure how much this episode will get edited. Of course, I turn it over to John. He does the editing. But depending on what he lets slide, you might hear me gush a little bit. And that's because the one of the women, yes, that's right, one, of the women that we are speaking with today has been a long time, you know what? I'm going to call it mentor, a long time mentor of me. I've never met her. I've never talked to her, but I've read her books and I've learned from her and I've incorporated it into my life. And it was just so great to finally say hello, thank you, and hear a little bit more about her past. And that woman is Nancy Duarte. Many of you may know of Nancy. She's known really in the around the world as like the PowerPoint person, like the slide deck creator, the image creator for the best slides ever. Okay. She started a business called Duarte long time ago. And now they've got, I don't know, over a hundred employees. And one of the main things they do is companies outsource their visual presentations to them. So A while ago, Nancy wrote a book called Slideology, and then she wrote the book Resonate, which Resonate is the one that that really introduced me to her in the first place. And it's all about presentations and, ah, it's just so good, how they should be structured, how visuals can impact those, and really what to do. Well, Nancy has a new book out, and it's called Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. And here's the kicker. Nancy brought in a co-author on this one, and her name is Patty Sanchez. So prior to this interview, I didn't know Patty. But man, was I 
so pleasantly surprised. I mean, of course I was excited to speak with Nancy, but Patty is the chief strategy officer for Duarte. And in this book, she's distilled 25 years of experience as a communicator down for you. And in this interview, we get to hear about it. She's led transformative communication initiatives for brands, including Cisco, Ericsson, Hewlett Packard, Lexus, Nike, VMware, it goes on. And she's taught hundreds of leaders to become more empathetic and effective communicators. So Nancy is like the CEO, the sales, the visual. And then Patty is the message, the story. And the two of them combined, they're just a powerhouse. And we have them both on this interview. Really so much fun. Not much more of an intro is needed here. We're at smartpeoplepodcast.com and on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you enjoy it, let Nancy and Patty know. So Nancy is at Nancy Duarte. That's N-A-N-C-Y D-U-A-R-T-E. And Patty is at Patty-san. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Patty-san. At Patty, P-A-T-T-I-S-A-N. All right. So we're going to turn it over to Nancy and Patty. But before we do that, have you checked out the Dave Burse webinar? If not, I don't know why you wouldn't. The world needs more creative people. You need to be more creative in your job, in your life. You need to, in the knowledge worker age, throw creativity at new problems. So Dave is teaching you how to be more creative. Head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash burse, B-I-R-S-S, and we will give you access to that free webinar. Also, that webinar is part of the mastermind, mastermind.smartpeoplepodcast.com. The idea here is twofold. First of all, on this show, you're going to hear a lot of interesting things, right? Many of you know this. You're going you're to get smarter and you're going to learn. But when it comes to applying these things to everyday life, how are you doing it? What are you doing with the knowledge you have gained? Well, that's where the mastermind comes in, okay? We have a community of folks who are helping each other. We have experts coming on giving webinars. And perhaps most interesting, these experts are taking Q&A from you. So for example, we have a webinar coming up on April 19th. It is a closed private webinar only to the mastermind group. And it is with Tim Sanders, our recent guest. Remember, Tim wrote the book Deal Storming, The Secret Weapon That Can Solve Your Toughest Sales Challenges. So Tim's going to come on. He's going to give a presentation for about 35 minutes. And then we're going to open it up for 20 minutes or so of Q&A, which should be enough to get through a, a number of questions. And oftentimes you can send him email questions afterwards. And the idea behind the mastermind is we have spent five years building this brand where people like Tim, the former Yahoo chief solutions officer, will come on the show. We'll do the webinar. We'll answer your questions. So for $29 a month, you can be part of the mastermind and you get all types of things, exclusive audio content. There's already two episodes that will never air that are up on there for mastermind listeners. You'll get live webinars with Q and a and replays. You'll get access to the experts, ask questions before, during, and after you'll get access to the community where you have other people, entrepreneurs, creatives, and myself. And of course, John, that will work together. Try and create that life you want. Remember, as David Burkus said, fall in love with the future version of yourself. Well, we want to help you become that future version. The topics of focus of the mastermind are self, health, and wealth. That's what it is, right? How do we be better? How do we stay better? 
and how do we make money? All right, that's what we're doing here. So check it out, mastermind.smartpeoplepodcast.com. And I know $29 a month seems really low for these webinars to have access to these experts and to have this community and to be able to ask questions, but it's because we want to grow it, okay? We started off at $19, it's now gone up to $29, and it will continue to go up because we will continue to grow and have a much larger library of content on there. So claim your spot while you can. If you have any questions, feel free to email me, right? Smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to see what the experience is like, I would recommend going to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash burst. Like I mentioned, that's a webinar we did with Dave Burst. All right. So excited to talk to Nancy and Patty. Sit back, relax, and hear the experts all about speaking and presenting as we cover all kinds of topics, especially their new book, Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. Please enjoy. Well, Nancy and Patty, thank you both for being on the show. As I kind of mentioned uh, before hitting record, this is the first time that I have two people on two different Skype connections. So uh, fingers crossed it all goes well. But thank you both for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having us. So, yeah. of course, we're here to talk about speaking and, and all about it and communication and how that uh, how leaders can use it to to make change. But let's start from, you know, Nancy. As I was talking about, many people know you are the person to go to, uh, whether your books or your organization, to learn about speaking. So I, I want to hear the background, both of your backgrounds, and then how this business came to be. Yeah, you know, I, my dirty little secret is I made a C- minus in speech communication and a D in English, and now I write books in English about speech communication. <laughs> I was so discouraged, I dropped out of college my first year. So I like to say, uh, in fact, a couple of the people on my team would say that presentations found them. Like, it wasn't something I hotly pursued. Um, my husband bought a little Mac Plus to get through high, to get through college to write papers on, and then he's the one who started started said, hey, I think there's like a business concept here in these new things called personal computers. And mm. and then he had the wisdom and maybe the foresight to let me just jump in and take it over. <laughs> and he um, and so it's just grown and we kind of stumbled into it um, in um, by Apple being one of our first accounts. And so we um, decided in 2000, even though we did a lot of other things in addition to presentations, that we would focus solely on presentations. And that was probably the most counterintuitive decision I made, but the best one we made ever because by trimming out everything and focusing just on this, even though probably, I don't know, maybe 60% of my business was presentations at the time, I cut everything else out. It's the only way to become an expert is to really focus on one thing and really master that one thing. And, um, you know, I... I'm the presentation lady, so I also had to work on my own presentation skills because mm -hmm. how what a misrepresentation that would be if I couldn't present myself, right? <laughs> that would be, oh, the presentation lady sucks at presenting. This <laughs> couldn't be my epitaph, right? Yeah. And so um, so we've all worked hard at it and um, mastered it, I would like to say, and sure. then wrote about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and look where it's gone. Well, yeah. Well, Patty, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your side of the story. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, as Nancy said, she she wrote about presenting and and that was um, underselling what she's accomplished because she's written several best-selling books. And I I came to Duarte around the time that Resonate was written, just after. And we were getting lots of calls for help with telling our organization stories through presentations. And we needed to build uh, a vast team of people who could really deeply understand and uh, people's businesses, their communication challenges, and write about them really well. And so my background is in writing and communication strategy, and I came on board to help build that practice of storytelling and grow the team so that we could uh, help more and more organizations get their ideas across really well. And uh, in the course of helping to build that practice, Nancy and I had lots of conversations about the challenges our clients face, and we started hearing that they were changing, uh, and and people were coming to us, leaders with really ambitious goals uh, that were um, so big that they wouldn't be able to accomplish them with just one talk. And they realized that they actually what they started saying is they needed to create a movement. And so that set Nancy and I on this whole course of research uh, to uh, that ultimately resulted in our latest book. And um, it was an incredible journey to to co-author with Nancy, something that uh, I think is hopefully world changing. So it's been fun. Well, thank you for that. And yeah, just to give our, our listeners a, a bit of an overview, at least the books that I've read personally, um, and and Nancy, forgive me if I leave some out, but I know. So was the first one slideology? Yeah, um, the first. I've kind of written them in reverse order. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it went uh, slideology, then resonate. And then I yeah, I try to work on a major work and a minor work at the same time. So it went slideology, resonate, hmm. and then I did a, a Harvard Business Review guide to persuasive presentations, and then I did a free book, which was also a minor work called Slide Docs. You can go to slidedocs.com and get that. That's and then happening. This is my I'm going to get that right now. <laughs> oh, it's really it's. It's a really profound piece. I gave that one away for free on purpose, and you'll see why when you go up to get it. And then this one's the next major work. It's been six years wow. uh, since a major work. Yeah. Wow. And this one is Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. Um, first thing I want to talk about, Nancy, when you were building this business, and it's called Duarte, right? Uh-huh. Just plain and simple. Okay. So did it start out with just you? It started with my husband, actually. And uh, he's the one who worked really hard to buy a Mac Plus to do papers on in school. And he worked all summer long in a, in a building in Sunnyvale because the aerospace industry was collapsing. And we moved into that very building, a 35,000 square foot building that he moved furniture from 27 years ago. It's kind of surreal. So he started it. And I thought it was a stupid idea. I was like, this personal computer thing's a toy. I work hmm. on a real computer. It's called a mainframe. You know, I was like, just, I need you to get a real job. I was very pregnant. Just, just terrible. I mean, seven years into the marriage, I was like, terrible, terrible, sending out his resume. Blah, blah, blah. And finally, finally, he's like, please, please, I, th- I think this is a vision. I, I think this could become a real business. And I was like, whatever, if I can sell it, you can keep it. If I can't sell it, I'm sending out all these resumes. And I picked up the phone one afternoon and we won three major accounts. We won an entire division at Apple, NASA and Tandem in one afternoon. And I never went back. <laughs> I never went back to my real job. You were selling the presentations at that point? Yeah, I was selling. What he was at that time was a technical illustrator. My husband an artist. So he started doing technical illustrations uh, and what was called back then desktop publishing. I mean, people, you think back, I, 
we had to pay $600 for a 20 megabyte hard drive and $4,000 for 150 DPI wow. printer. Right? You know, so people, we, every penny we made, we put right back in the business. And so people didn't, back then you didn't hook a computer up and print something out and take it to be made into a brochure or a newsletter or whatever. So we were like young digital startups back then, you know, that yeah. was a big deal to own a computer and a printer at your house. And so he just wanted to have a little business where the kids could be under foot you know we had little small kids and I had my real job and then I quit I never went back I was on maternity leave selling picking up the phone selling his wares and two years in I worked his little butt off so much he got carpal tunnel syndrome and couldn't do the art anymore really (laughs) yeah we had to um, hire people we had five employees come to the house before we got like a real office above a Starbucks Hmm. Um, and then we've just been moving on up ever since so the the skill brought to the table was his illustration and your sales ability plain and simple exactly yeah. Then I kind of took over, established strategy, decided where we want to go. And then he went into accounting and finance. He still, we still work side by side. Our offices connect and um, we adore each other. I got to say, Wow. we think about writing a book about marriage sometimes because <laughs> we still really like each other and it's been 35 years. Working together. That's mm-hmm. something I actually always, because I'm very entrepreneurial and I talk to my wife. I'm like, if I start this, will you join? And she's like, not a chance. <laughs> I mean, she's a school teacher. She loves it, but she's like, no, I'm not working with you. It's really funny. So I commend you on that. And I, I just, you know, because one of the things that for myself, many of the people that listen are entrepreneurs is that, you know, how do you establish dominance in a marketplace? How do you, how, how do you have the belief that you are good enough to sell Apple, to sell IBM? And now what you do, I mean, I feel like you've been doing it for decades. So it's a little easier. But at first, you know, how can people break into their field when they know there's so many other people out there that are probably better at it? Well, I, you know what? I don't know that I knew that. <laughs> you know, I think ignorance is bliss, right? Okay. And I think I just came in the valley female you know, white female with a Hispanic surname with my hands on my hip, daring people to challenge me to be smarter than I was, right? I read everything. I read every issue of Harvard Business Review. I read every issue of um, different publications that were set up for creative businesses to thrive. And I just, I didn't believe it. And I thought, you know, if you can be passionate about something and believe you could become best in the world at, then I think you should do that thing, whatever that is. And I mean, I was 29. I would march into CEO's offices and just tell them what to say. I had a personal sense of authority um, that some people say is relatively daunting, but I just, I just did it right, and I just believed we could do it and be something different um, than anything else out there. And when I started, like presentations are totally cool now. I mean, they're totally right. cool. Like if you had thought. Man, you know, five years ago, or what is it, three years ago, TED won a Peabody Award. I mean, you would never have thought that a company that broadcasts presentations would win a Peabody Award because they've been so reviled for so long. Mm. And I think that, like, they're now they're sexy and kind of cool thing to do. When I was doing them before, we were like the grunts in the agency ecosystem. I mean, it was like my friends that had these sexy agencies would be like, just give your slides to Duarte, poor things, they'll do them, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was fine. You know, I would take, I would take dog scraps. Sure. You know, who cares? You can live on dog scraps. Yeah. 
And then we built it into a successful and sophisticated medium to the point where those same firms that gave us their scraps are out of business and we're thriving. Wow. So it's very interesting. And if I could ask a follow-up there, why do you think that is? What uh, would you attribute your success to over the others? Um, I, you know, I think I've been open to reinvention, and that's a lot about what Illuminate's about. Mm. In, in my 27 years in business, we've been through six very clear reinventions, and, and we're on our seventh. And I, I really feel that I never, uh, I never thought status quo was okay. So the moment that maybe we should rest on our laurels and bask in our success, it's like, no, mm. we must claim this next piece of territory or we must carve out this new skill that the world needs to have. You know, we, we, a lot of what we do is on the behalf of others. And so it's like, whoa, we see this big void in people's lives. Let's make something great here so they can thrive. And, there, and there's a lot of joy in that too. That's a Amazing. Well, Patty, I want to I want to uh, turn it over to you for a little bit because you really, I mean, your career is just a, a list of incredible accomplishments in terms of communication, uh, brand building, uh, oh, sto- yeah, storytelling. And so I'm trying. I'm, I'm looking at the clock here, by the way, with you two, and I'm like. No way I can get all this out of my head in 40 minutes, but I am trying. You'll just have to have us back. Oh, I, man, you, you don't want to make that Part offer. Two. But So I'll go back, read every book six times, memorize it, and then come back. But I'm just going to straight shoot, you know, uh, shoot straight for it. What is the key, the key to getting the public, whoever it is you're trying to reach, to, I don't know, buy your brand, like your brand, understand your brand, everyone listening right now has something to sell and sales is not a bad thing just something you know that either it's themselves uh it's their company it's so at work they are a salesman man what do we do please help us well (laughs) if 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 i if you had asked me that question when i was i don't know 20 and i thought i knew everything i would have said have a great idea (laughs) you know be better you know in in the valley there's a phrase uh i don't think i can say all of it on air but sure you can be first, be fabulous, or be f- There's another F word. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. So, so Patty, a- Patty said the F word. Yes, you did. <laughs> so, you know, have a great idea and get it out there, right? Make it excellent. Be first. And, and yes, that's true, right? You have to have a, an excellent idea to begin with. But what I've learned over the years in my career and as, uh, as a human, as, as I've tried to accomplish big things in the world, I've realized that what's actually harder is getting other people to buy into those ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, people fundamentally do things for their own reasons, not yours. And as a student of Franklin Covey, you know that. Oh, yeah. Seek first to understand. I mean, all the great leaders know that. And that's what I've learned uh, over the years is that I'm more successful when the ideas, uh, when I understand the audience that I'm trying to sell my ideas to, and I frame everything I say in terms of what matters to them, that I make it their cause, not mine. Uh, That's the key to me. Wow. Uh, So powerful. So true. And so I want to give you a I don't know if it'd be a case study, but just uh, let's walk through a hypothetical here that I know at least, I don't know, 5,000 people right now are thinking, okay? They are solopreneurs or entrepreneurs. They are the head of their business. It could be a coaching business. It could be writing. It could be speaking, anything. Uh, But they're either just starting out or they're struggling 
to get their name out there. Okay. And it can become or seem fairly daunting because the internet has really taken our village from the 10 or 20 people around us to the 7 billion around the world or whatever. Uh, And so you see what else is out there. Should I be like them? You know, is it even worth it? Social media, blah, blah, blah. How do we start to infiltrate the attention and the minds of those we seek to serve? Yeah. Well, you do have to find your audience and, and boiling the ocean, so to speak, is is not the way. And it, it, like you said, it can be really daunting knowing that you have the potential to reach a mass audience much more quickly than you ever did before. Sometimes people uh, set their goals a little too high, I think, and say, look, I want to, you know, I want to win the world. I want to build buzz. I want it to go viral immediately. You know, I want to reach a million people right away. And that's not always realistic. It really, it's, you have to think of it almost like a social movement. And and again, we studied social movements in writing Illuminate because they're a great parallel to driving change in the world for anybody. And and they start on a very grassroots level with a small number of passionate people. There's a person who is who who believes that a change needs to happen, and they find other like-minded people in small groups. Your neighbors friends of your neighbors, you know, uh, in your local community, in your sphere of influence, there, there are one, three, five, maybe seven people who, who share your philosophy, who believe that that problem you want to solve is a problem worth solving too. And you build your network, uh, that one group at a time. And you have to be able to win them over. You have to be able to tell your story really well. What is it that you're trying to do? Why is it important to the world? Why is it important to them so that you can enlist them in your cause? And, you know, bit by bit, uh, you'll expand your sphere of influence as each of them evangelizes. If you light the fire in them, they'll go help you tell your story and recruit others. Now, one of the things that we uh, cut from the book, actually, that when we were in writing it was a whole way of thinking about the archetypes of, of people and the different personalities of people that would be helpful to you in different stages of your movement. And the more visionary your idea is, the more disruptive it is to the status quo, the more you need other visionaries to buy into it too. And we call them the prophets. You know, if, if, if you have a really uh, disruptive idea, you're, you'll do well to find a sympathetic ear in other disruptors. And they'll sign on to help you first before the other people, you know, if you think about it in terms of, uh, of uh, early adopters, late adopters, you know, some other people will be sitting on the fence a lot longer. But what you really need in the beginning is those profits to join you. Wow, that is great. And I think now I can ask this question and either of you or both can choose to answer. But, you know, I think first, as you mentioned you figure out who you're trying to serve, who you can be of value to, and then bring in like-minded or bring in that target audience. Okay, so say you have them and you have your message. Your business, you know, Duarte, really focuses on uh, creating that message in a deliverable way. What is the best way to do it? Is it um, everything? Do we have to look at our, you know, our website visuals, our copy? Do we have to be presenting or podcasting or writing? How do you find... Uh, the best what what is the best delivery mechanism 
That's a really big question. I think it's a mindset first. I'll start there. In all our body of work, we say um, the presenter is the mentor. Like in, in myths and movies, a lot of entrepreneurs identify themselves as the hero in the story. They think they're Luke Skywalker. But in reality, the role of the entrepreneur and the role of the communicator is to be Yoda. It's to be the mentor. Um, and so all your materials about yourself should have a mindset of not like I'm here to save you. You're desperate for me. You need me. I'm here to rescue you from yourself, which is a stance of arrogance. We believe that you should present yourself as one that's there in this person's life to come alongside in storytelling myths and movies. A mentor did three things. They helped the hero get unstuck or they brought a magical gift or a special tool. So we try everything we produce or put out there should do one of those three things. People should be like, I love this little video by Nancy because I'm unstuck today, you know? Mm. Um, and, and I think if you err on generosity and people were shocked, like my own staff was like, oh, why? When I wrote Slideology, mm-hmm. people, number one, they thought I was crazy. But then they were like, why, why would you tell the world our secrets? That's secret. You can't share that. It's like, but the world needs to change. The world needs to do presentations better. And so let's just put our work out there as a gift and see what comes back. And even though we were very generous with what we put out there, what has come back to us has been so much greater. Um, so I think regardless of channel, I mean, there's so many to choose from. Like to your earlier question, like, you know what I used to do when I, there wasn't even the internet when we started. I didn't even know how to pick a business. I would just drive around and look for the ones that looked big. And then I would go to the receptionist and be like, who does this? I would get their name. I would run back home. I would get a little, I would get little little spice plants of time, like literally time, T-H-Y-M-E. Sure. And I would take, take, send a little tiny potted plant of time and say, thanks for taking the time to read this. I'd really like to have more of your time. Can we meet? Like, I mean, it was literally like, we didn't have all these channels. You I mean, but to, that's genius. Like, come on. Yes, that's that's genius. That's very feminine. Like, you know, who wants a, who, what dudes want to plant of time you uh, know? I but do you, I have one in my backyard <laughs> but you have like you use whatever you have right then and and I think some people spend a lot of time and money on some channels that don't yield fruit and all the channels now have analytics so I think you have to experiment until you figure out what works best for your brand collect mm-hmm. the analytics modify it do it again and again and see which messages resonate the most deeply with your audience you know yeah so I, I, I love that and so what you were talking about, you know, what you did early on, and now we're talking about how to, for, for those that are early on in those stages, to start something. Um, when you're creating these these visuals, as you, you talked about, I mean, Slideology is, is fantastic on that. Uh, what would you recommend to people that are trying to distill their message into visual representation, which is much more difficult because we don't yeah. grow up communicating in visuals we grow up communicating verbally i mean aside from our you know uh our actions with our body but so what do we need to know what is the crux of good visuals it's interesting i would say that it's actually flipping i would say millennials don't know how to communicate verbally and and can flick a picture out there now um i i think that that's a little bit of our magic is we can think conceptually metaphorically um we see things spatially. We can see interconnections and how they flow or touch or interrelate with each other. So if a client has a um, 
architecture to their product, we can boil it down into language and visuals that help people see what you're saying. Because if people can see what you're saying and it's tangible, then they understand it. So it is really important for people to see what you're saying, especially in the more complex ideas, boiling them into something simple. Another thing we'll do is make make a placemat. You can make an 11 by 17 picture and have everyone gather around the table and they can co-create it. They can mark it up. They can draw on it and say, no, that's not what I see. That's what you see. Oh, I see why we're not on the same page. If we modify it like this, we all have shared meaning. Oh, I see now. You know, and just, just the fact that you can rally around a graphic and either um, feel like you belong to that or it's true or it's not true, it's just easier to do than with the spoken word because it's almost like – a picture of something kind of draws a line in the sand and, mm. and helps people cross over and commit. Hmm. Man, it's it's so difficult. I guess that's why your business does so well. Yeah. <laughs> so we different people... brainstorming processes, different visualization processes. And, sure. Um, we even do things that's called a quick storm. On an email, someone will say, hey, I need a concept that conveys this. And then you'll get like 40 ideas of, you know, it's kind wow. of fun. We have different methods for creating lots of ideas that are, some are as simple as an email flurry and others are more complicated depending on the scale of the problem we're trying to solve. Sure. Well, I, I want to talk about Illuminate here. And really, you have the, I want you guys to break down the five stages of transformation because um, I want to jump into stories, but I don't know if uh, they need to, these five stages need to go linearly. So I'll leave that to you. How should we, how should we attack this? Well, yeah, I think starting with the the shape of the journey is a great place uh, to begin. And, and when I say journey, what I'm talking about is the process of leading people from where they are to where you want them to be, which is what we think uh, is the leader's fundamental job, not just to make things, to run a business, but to move people from one place to another, from the present into the future. And we wanted to understand, Nancy and I, how great leaders move very large numbers of people to accomplish very large, complicated, difficult things. And so that's what led us to looking at social movements. And as we studied movements of all kinds, we realized that they all followed a common pattern, which was this shape that we call the venturescape. And, and it's made up of five stages that are effectively organized into three acts, three sections, which when we mapped them out, we realized it follows the structure of a story. So stories are things that we tell, the things that we use to get ideas across, but they're also story story itself is also a um, a description of the process of transformation it so the basic structure of a story is you have a likable hero who encounters obstacles and emerges transformed well the five stages of change are the same as that although in the case of a change initiative the first stage begins with the leader who is that mentor Nancy talked about articulating his or her vision for the future which is what we call the dream stage so the leader articulates the vision and says, here's where we are. Here's where we need to be. Here's why we all want to go there. Great. Let's go. Well, immediately what happens is the the travelers, as we call them, the people that need to go on this journey uh, have to do is they have to make a choice about whether they like that vision or not, whether they think it's worth going after or not, whether they want to take the next step. When they do choose to jump in is when they make a leap, uh, and that's what we call that stage is the leap stage, which is effectively the the people you're trying to move saying, all right, I'm in. 
you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's see where this goes. But as soon as they leap in to support your vision and start taking steps toward it, they encounter obstacles, uh, which could be resistance from the outside, from competitors who rise up and say, that's a stupid idea. Our idea is better. Or customers who say, oh, this is really difficult. This isn't what I expected. Or, or internal resistance. You know, the, this, this is too hard. It's not the way we do things. And so each time your travelers encounter an obstacle and, uh, and, and sort of confront it, they have to uh, battle it. They have to uh, surmount it. And that is what we call the fight stage. And that fight stage is actually not just a stage. It's more like a, like a series of skirmishes. Hmm. It just keeps going. But every time people accomplish, overcome an obstacle and accomplish something, they climb a little closer to your goal, which is what we call the climb stage. And in reality, you know, the picture in the book that describes this shows kind of a straight curvy line uh, from dream all the way to the end. But really, this middle stage is more like switchbacks when you're trying to climb, you know, if you ever go hiking, you're trying to climb oh, a really yeah. tall mountain, right? And you're not going to ascend, you know, a thousand feet all straight up. It, it would kill you. So you have to attack it bit by bit, sort of snaking your way up the mountain. And that's what the fight and climb or the middle of this journey is like. And that is akin to the middle of a story, a movie, a book, where things get really tense. Uh, you start to wonder if the hero's going to make it out or not. You know, they, they encounter such tough resistance that they're tested on a very deep level, and they might even be close to death. And that metaphorically is sort of what that part of the journey is like for people too. That just It can be really hard and exhausting. Uh, but it's also where they are changed, because they've learned new skills, uh, they've they've accomplished something that they didn't think they ever could do, and fundamentally, when they've accomplished that, they arrive, which is the fifth stage, and the, they've arrived at your goal, and that's when it's time to look back and say, what did we do? What did we accomplish? How are we the better for this? Thank you so much for that, and just just so that it leaves the mental image in folks' mind, um, of course, this is in Illuminate, but. Could you just uh, highlight the five stages one more time in order? What are they? One, two, three, four. Yeah. The five stages are dream, Uh leap, fight, climb, arrive. And in the book, we have metaphorical images for each of the stages. Uh, You know, in the fight stage, the the leader is uh, standing on top of a dragon (laughs) because that's really what it feels like. Yeah. Well, of course you have images. That's what you guys do. I mean, if you didn't, it'd be weird. And so all of the, these stages of transformation, the way you're uh, laying them out in your book is to take people, I mean, I know you, you use like Steve Jobs, for example, to, to take people from the really the before, like you said, uh, from where they are to where you want them to be, correct? Yeah. And those yep. are the stages they have to go through. And, and then you mentioned you can use speeches, stories, ceremonies, and symbols to get them there. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the that, those are the tools that leaders and communicators can use to help people understand where they are in the journey and what they need to do next. And if speeches are we've been talking a little bit about that. That's basically the content of a presentation, which is your argument uh, for w- what needs to happen by contrasting the current state to the future state. Stories are 
different and equally powerful in a different way because uh, they're they're not so much the analytical appeal, but they are the emotional uh, reasons why uh, people need to change. So you can literally tell anecdotes about a time when you yourself made this kind of move and what you learned from it or how your competitors have done it or some uh, analogy from history or literature that helps people understand why and how you want them to change. But one of the other tools that we talk about in the book that we think is really powerful and underused a lot in business is the ceremony. And ceremonies are basically rites of passage. That's where they come from. You know, when you get married, that's a rite of passage. And and the whole ceremony of marriage is designed to uh, show how you've been transformed from two individuals walking up the aisle separately from each other to a couple that's united and walking down the aisle together. And all of the rites of passage in life uh, are basically markers of transformation. And the same thing happens in business but we don't often mark that transformation so literally. Uh, and we think that they're a really powerful mechanism for communicating change and helping people not just understand how to change, but also express all the feelings they have around it. Mm. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, uh, you know, a rally that happens when spirits are down, you get everybody together and they shout and chant uh, to the award ceremony at the end to recognize all the people who've accomplished things. Those are moments that uh, that are transcendent. Ah, I was wondering. I was I, I was thinking like, what are some examples of ceremonies? And then obviously you went into that, that because it, <laughs> it reminded me of you know the nonprofit that I helped start. We about two years in, we had this big big event, like way bigger than we I don't know at the time probably should have thrown or knew how to throw. But it was incredible. It went off without a hitch. It was, And I just remember personally, as somebody invested in, in the organization, feeling a new sense of renewal. So yeah. you talking about that, it's so clear how that can have an effect if done right. Absolutely. They are renewing and they're reuniting. It, most mm -hmm. likely you felt more closely connected to everybody in that organization after that, as a result of that moment. And those moments are so emotionally intense most often that they stick with us for a really long time. And so from a persuasion standpoint, it's also just really smart uh, to engage more emotion so that people are more likely to remember what you said, you know, what they said and did in that moment and carry your story forward. Sure. And I want to talk about, because of course, you know, between speeches, stories, ceremonies, and symbols, they have to be done correctly. So um, one of the things I, I, I struggle with, and I'm wondering, you know, I'm thinking others might as well, is I often, I mean, my job is to ask questions. So uh, that's what I do. That's what I love doing. And so I sometimes actually find it difficult to uh, tell a story about myself, even though it um, is the most useful in that moment. And so, like, I'm going to give a speech uh, in a couple weeks at, a, at Georgetown to, you know, recent college graduates. And I have so much that I've learned that I, I just want to offer to them. But I'm struggling with how do you tell a story the right way so that it is in service of others as opposed to, uh, you know, self-indulgent? Yeah, that's one of the biggest points of resistance I hear when I counsel leaders to tell stories in their communication. They say, well, you know, that seems arrogant. I don't want to make it about me. It's about mm -hmm. them. But 
somebody I was talking to recently, a good friend and, and colleague said, uh, reframe the way I think about that, I think is very powerful. He said, it's actually uh, more arrogant to withhold what you know, to, to, uh, then to talk about your the lessons in your life and try and give those away to people so that they can improve. And, and I think the difference really is in how you do it, uh, that, that even when you tell a story from your own life, you need to think of your audience that you're communicating to as the hero. Uh, what is it that you're trying to teach them? What do they want and need to, to know, to feel confident about so that they can succeed in their own lives and choose the, the elements of your personal story that will uh, communicate that best. Mm. But at the end of the day, you do have experience, you have knowledge, you have um, um, guidance that other people can benefit from. And so it's actually pretty stingy to not share that with other people. But and, and to clarify, because I, the way I'm interpreting it, that is just beautiful when you think of it as you are offering your experiences to them because, you know, like one of the things that Franklin Covey, we, we talk about, and actually I learned it even earlier on in my coaching is that first you have to start from a place that the people you are speaking with or in your company or whoever you're leading are truly amazing are extraordinary, have the potential, whether it be latent capacity or whatever to be extraordinary. And that way, all you're trying to do is, as Nancy said, be the Yoda a little bit. Here's some things I've learned, take them for what they're worth and use them in your own, uh, in your own endeavors. Does that make right, sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really just comes back to your motive, right? And, and coming from a place of generosity and wanting to help instead of arrogance and wanting glory. Mm. Uh, and people will feel the difference if you're coming from the place of generosity. I love that. So what are some, I'd love to, I mean, I know you do a bunch of case studies in, in the book. Um, what's one that really sticks out to that I think or that you feel might be most useful to the general public? Because one of the things I was wondering, and this is too, really bad interview etiquette, but, um, you know, you talk about how this is for leaders, but uh, how do you, I mean, essentially, how do you sell a book if you're selling them only to leaders? I'm assuming you believe that leadership is different than what we yeah. normally ask. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, we think a leader, everybody has the potential to be a leader. So when I say leader, I'm, that's not code for the boss necessarily. It's, it, it really means anyone who is trying to affect change of some kind. And I think everybody is trying to do that, or at least has the uh, potential to do that in every sphere of their lives, whether you're the CEO, the founder of the company, or you're a manager who's running a team of people, or you own a process. You're an individual contributor, but but what you do is fundamental, and you have some control over that thing that you own. Uh, you have a responsibility to make that thing better, to make that business better, to make that team better, to make that process better. So that means you have to uh, imagine how it could be better in the future and then create that. And most often you're trying, you're going to have to get other people to help you to make that thing better. And so in that sense, you have to lead those people on a journey 
whether it's just a, a partner or a group of people uh, or an entire organization uh, to make that uh, to make your vision a reality. So that's really what leadership is. And to me, that's everybody. Nancy, how do you incorporate this message into your business, given that, as you mentioned, I wasn't aware of you have, I forget how many you said, hundred and something people working for you. Yeah, you know, I, we're working on that right now. I we there's a lot of people. It was I was kind of laughing when you were asking the question because there's a lot of people that are like, "Oh, it's a leadership book. That's not me," <laughs> and, and that's so um, sad to me because whether you're leading your children or you know leading, I don't. I just think everyone has the the opportunity to lead. One of the reasons why we call the leader in the book the torchbearer is I think everyone is called to lead, but few bear the burden of it, right? You're a bearer of it. It's a mantle you choose to accept. And so many people self-select out of it, which is sad to me. And so we're working on everybody here becoming a leader. When you lead an industry, when my staff travels, say, just even to a design event, they're like, oh my God, you work at Duarte. And now they're all realizing, oh, I'm a spokesperson whether I signed up for it or not. You Absolutely. Know, people are like, what? What's it like to work there? Yeah. You know, oh my God, I love presentation. You know, and so now they're like, oh wow. So people here are all realizing kind of the burden, uh, not burden. I mean, that making it sound like it's a terrible thing, but, but, it, but it is hard. It's harder to be a leader than to just check out and live off the system. Mm-hmm. And I think that those days are over for a lot of people. As the world gets flatter and flatter, more and more people, you know, the ones that are going to win are the ones that choose the mantle and are the bearer of a torch. And and that's the people that'll shed enough light onto the future to make people want to go there, to illuminate it, you know? The yeah. situations in which you carry a torch is usually a dark, dank cave or something, right? Sure. And, and the f- torch only lights enough to dissipate you know, the short-term fear. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what a leader does is it's like, yeah, this isn't so scary. Let's all go there. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm sad for the people that don't select to lead, um, but it is a choice. You know, Writing a book on that's meant for leaders on leadership, and and I've noticed even you know we've been doing this for about five years, and continually more and more books are they take some uh, some stance or some target of leadership. And I found that interesting, and I, I ask the question a lot: What is a leader? And and I'm starting to clarify my understanding of it. Um, but do you find, or have you found? that people often don't want to consider themselves leaders uh, not so much because of the burden, but because they don't think they are. They simply don't feel... I mean, do we... Have we really put leadership on a pedestal so that most people don't feel like they meet that that name? Well, if you define leadership as influencing change, influencing others... um, then, then, you know, then to me, it's really sad that you've made a choice because that means you don't have a point of view. Like, let's just say mm. it's a point of view and you don't feel it's your job to rally people towards your point of view. Like, what if your best friend is, you know, you know, headed off a cliff accidentally, philosophically or fundamentally, you, you don't feel it would be your job to persuade them to change so that they don't walk straight into a disaster or a trap, you know? It's like, wow, yeah, I don't know. I, I, um... I do think everybody has a message, and if you don't, I think we're all called to leave a mark on this earth, and if we don't work on our communication skills, that mark will never be known. We're all unique. We each have a different thumbprint. We have a different iris in our eyes. We have a different gift we're all bringing to the earth, and if you keep it trapped inside of you, 
the world will never be different for having had you live on it, you know? So I don't know. Maybe I'm just... (laughs) No, no, no. I think it's fantastic. I I ask that because not only do I want to learn it, but I feel like many people want to understand it. They, They feel like they have that inside of them. But A, they, they don't necessarily have, and again, I might be making this up, but I'm just speaking from experience, right? Um, they feel like they don't have what it takes. They aren't that, or they don't have the tools. And I think that's where Illuminate comes in. I mean, along with Resonate, and if you even want to go back to Slideology, although I felt that was very pointed, but um, but it's, like you said, communication. If you can't get it out, we talk about in Franklin Covey in the knowledge worker age it's happening between your ears. It's invisible to people. Mm-hmm. So if you can't right. get it out of your mouth, nobody knows what's going on up there. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you guys so much. Like this has been a dream come true. I've, like I said, when I, I first read resonate and then went back to slideology and haven't had a chance to read illuminate yet, but I, I'm, I will, um, just thank you. Where, where should our listeners go? You know, is there a place you want to lead them first? Yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah, you can go to Duarte.com. Um, up at Duarte.com slash Illuminate is a great visual executive summary of the book. And um, Patty and I are both on Twitter. I'm Nancy Duarte, and she's at Patty San. And um, we will accept connections from anyone who connects to us on LinkedIn. Um we're pretty, well, that's happening. Pretty, pretty communicative <laughs> bunch of gals over here. We are. So. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I mean, we will, of course, we'll link to it at smartpeoplepodcast.com. We'll mention it in the intro. But the book is Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. And to the listeners, I really, I, you know, Nancy is the, she is the Yoda in this space. So, uh, you know, really check it out. Hey, Patty's Obi-Wan. I'm just saying. I like it. I like, well, you know, I'm new to Patty. So Patty, you know, I'm going to, when I read Illuminate, I'll know a little bit more about your style, <laughs> but I loved speaking with you both. Thank you guys. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having us. All right. Have a great day. Okay. You too. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez. You can find their book, Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols at your local bookstore and on Amazon. And if you do decide to purchase through Amazon, please do not forget to use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. Any purchase you make through that link comes to no cost to you, and it greatly helps out the show. So please remember, use that Smart People Podcast Amazon link. If you're looking for other easy ways to support the show, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating, review, and comment over there. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, please send us an email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. If you want to join the Mastermind community, please head over to mastermind.smartpeoplepodcast.com. We're building an amazing community, and we have fantastic webinars each month. So head over there, read up on it, and join the Mastermind today. That's it for today's episode. Please make sure that you stay tuned to all things Smart People Podcast by heading over to our website, smartpeoplepodcast.com. We've got some great interviews coming up. So we will see you all next week.